I live my life by. Bang, bang, bang the drum. What? That's not a motto. That's that's just you saying a bunch of things. It's difficult to name one favorite drummer. Roy. Haynes. Wow. You're amazing, dude. Thanks. I like to play. Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. Drummer's Weekly so on my drive over to Alabama last week and dealing with the requisite traffic, I had a epiphany. And that's about all you can have when you're driving those mind-numbing roads where there's really nothing between Atlanta and your destination. Right. And I came up with the thought that cruise control is the de facto click track for traffic. Hmm. It keeps you bulletproof and not getting arrested. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about it from that standpoint. I was thinking about it that... But when, I'm right. It, that's true. When I put my cruise control on, it's very obvious to see who's dragging and who's rushing is yeah, all I'm saying. Yeah. And it, it's infuriating to the person who has the cruise control on. And let's say you've got it locked in at, say, a very polite... 74. 74. See, that's one of those things. It, it doesn't quite raise the hackles of any would-be smoky bears that are that are looking around because no. it's close enough, right? You could probably even go 79 and Yeah, and yeah you just want to keep bothered. it probably under 10, right? I under 10 so. miles. So, but then what you notice is when you have your cruise control on and you're at that polite 74 is that, okay, you pass someone and then you be the good citizen and you get back over in the right lane and then probably 30 to 45 seconds later the person you passed screams by you doing about 85 until you get to the next hill then they get over into your lane of course mm -hmm. and then you have to keep your your you know cruise control at your 74 and then you end up passing them again and it's this weird tandem of you know passing getting behind, passing and getting behind. And I'm just like, use your onboard metronome, sir. No, they won't. I, I, I can't use cruise control when there's any amount of traffic for that reason. It drives yeah. me insane. And, uh, um, and also, you know, like I, I like things to move a little bit. I, well said, I have this one psychopath of a friend who you actually, he's a friend of yours also that we'll discuss him off the air. <laughs> but this guy uses cruise control when driving through residential areas even. Like, you know, he sees... Just to do the limit? Yeah, like 35. He'll put it on like 35 or 36. And it's just, he just, it's a way that he is comfortable driving. And I'm just like, man, that seems like a lot of work to me, Uncle Charlie. You know? But that's not his name. No, it's not. <laughs> right but that's just my ham-fisted observation when it comes to traffic tempo and cruise control yeah yeah I, i've been on some super highways where 
people were blowing past me and slowing everybody down. You know why that's the case? Well, it was actually on a stage. It wasn't a super highway. <laughs> well, I was going to say, <laughs> you know, I mean, a metaphor. The, or whatever. the, the reason yeah. is the same. The reason and it is, drives me equally insane. The reason is they have somewhere more important to go than you. Of course, of course. <laughs> or, or, or a, a certain other friend of ours. I, I've, I've decided that he wants to be an Olympic athlete <laughs> because he wants to get to the end of the song before you if it kills him. Oh, is <laughs> is is he a purveyor of the six-string uh, variety? <laughs> I'm yes. going to beat you, man. I'm going to get there. All you got to do is put a chart in front of him. I see the finish line. <laughs> that'll that'll see cure ya. that. Well, speaking of traveling, here's our little segue, man. Uh-oh. Bright lights, big city. Yeah, man. I'm so envious of you, man. Woo! I was nothing but a big old tourist. Well, and that's why I'm envious, because every time I've been to the place that we're going to talk about, it's never been as a tourist. It's always either been one of two things. You're either doing a gig there or you're traveling through there. True. Um, I did go. We're talking about the Big Apple. Yeah. NYC. Mm-hmm. Took my family up there for spring break. My boy was. He has been wearing us out for the better part of two years. To why, go to why, New York. Is, why is that? You know, it started. Uh, at Universal, Orlando. In Orlando, there's a a ride Jimmy Fallon. It's called Race Through New York, and he got obsessed with that ride and obsessed with Jimmy. And then he was just like, "We got to go to New York. We got to go to New York." And we were like, uh. "And it finally came about because I am of the mindset you are. Like, I like going there when it's paid for. Mm-hmm. And I got a per diem, and my room is covered." And, what have you but um man we had we had an incredible time it was we really really enjoyed ourselves a lot you know i always get that energy from new york mm-hmm. especially if i'm not there for a long time three or four days mm-hmm. and i feel come back energized and what have you but man we just did all the dumb stuff rockefeller center and the the prize was uh uh one world the freedom tower Man, that was amazing. I've heard nothing but good about that, and you were just uh, emboldening that. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, I love that. And then, you know, man, just we get to walk everywhere. I love walking around there. I walk mm-hmm. in New York probably in three days as much as I might in three months here. <laughs> yeah, what part of town did y'all stay in? We stayed uh, in uh, East Midtown, like 45th, and mm-hmm. real close to the U.N., yeah. It was awesome. Really quiet. Um, a few blocks from Grand Central Station. So we got around really easy. We, you know, we went to a Yankee game, took the subway, took the subway downtown, you know, to the tower. And if you guys, if you're going to go to New York, man, you can find that East Midtown area is uh it's really nice it's super quiet and safe and cool i i really recommend it uh, man I'll, i didn't see any music well i mean in so many ways our vacation is staying away from that you know when you if you do take a vacation i, I just i just wanted to put that up on the t so you could <laughs> knock it out <laughs> no, well but to your point though about going to places that we've been before for work or have traveled through I found it incredibly refreshing that 
two years ago when we made that mammoth epic journey out to California, that's the first time I've been to California where it wasn't for some sort of work. Mm -hmm. And it was incredibly fantastic to, to just relax and actually see some things because what most people don't understand that if they haven't done what we've done before is they think when you tell them that you've, Oh, I've been there and I've been there and oh, and I've been there and I've been there. Well, 95% of the time, what we see is the airport, the venue and the hotel. Mm-hmm. And there's seldom time to do anything else. An afternoon stroll. maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. We had plenty of time. Um, and uh, we spent so much money. It's crazy. If you're going to go, just... Did you spend it like you pretend, have it? Exactly. Just just do it. Just go go pretend you got money and blow it. You, you, you might suffer later, but man, it's a lot of fun. What's the experience, right? Yeah. I Oh, I did walk... One cool thing, I, I just on a... I didn't even mean to, but I walked past Birdland just randomly. We were going to... Mm-hmm. I don't remember. We were going to some uh, place to meet my wife's aunts or something like that. And we walked past and on the, uh, you know, they got a new venue now in the basement called the theater. Right on. And it's going to, it's, I walked down and looked at it. It's really nice. Um, a, A little, a little more open and a little more kind of, you know, like when you walk into Birdland, the stage is like literally right there behind the, mm-hmm. you know, this is, you go downstairs and it opens up into like a, you know, there's seating and all that and there's a stage and it, so it's a real kind of a contrast to the middle of the room Birdland vibe, which is cool. But on the on the marquee or the, just the upcoming two people we know were playing like back to back. Who? Uh, Alter, Joe Alterman mm-hmm. was doing, which maybe, you know, I know Justin Chazar plays with him sometimes. He might be doing it. I, Friend of the show, Justin yeah. Chazar. I haven't talked to him, um, but I mean, I know he's played up there. Mm-hmm. He's Ooh, new daddy also. With Joe. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. And, not Joe Justin. <laughs> no, no, no. Joe Alterman, I don't know if he is or not. <laughs> I don't know him that well. Yeah. Uh, Who's the other? Uh, then right after that, Aubrey's playing. And oh, our, you our buddy Dave, friend Davey of the J. show, yeah. Shout out Dave Johnstone because I know he's going to be listening to this power so, listener. He's, you know, he's in Australia as we record this. Yes, he is playing with legends. Yeah, I saw that. Crazy, too. but they're they're like kind of like the house band. Oh, in uh, on that cruise, right? Yeah, they're backing up a lot of a whole bunch of people. Yeah, the jazz cruise that left Sydney was yeah. what it was. Yeah, so they're that they're playing with. All kinds of guys because they're sort of a, they're sort of like the house rhythm section. Um, what, what was I going to say? Oh, so I, if I were in New York in a week, I could have probably gone on the Birdland for like four nights in a row and <laughs> not have to pay. <laughs> bought a couple cocktails. Like what? What bad timing? Well, I want to also throw out uh, a friend of the show. Major props, Mr. Joel Rosenblatt. He is uh, a denizen of that area up there and, and subs in on the Hamilton show from time to time as well. Yeah. So he's he gets around up there. Please uh, know anyone that lives up there. This trip was all about my boy. So oh, yeah. It's nothing personal if I didn't look you up. Uh, don't, don't let it fly under the radar that you made a pilgrimage to the new Yankee Stadium also. Man, yeah. I had been to the old one, which was pretty 
Um, uh, uh, scary. I don't, you know, I never feel that way when I yeah. go there, though. I've been, I went, I've been to Yankee Stadium three or four times. I, I haven't been. It literally, haven't you been. get off the train, you walk yeah. in. You know, it's kind of like, right. oh, the Bronx. Well, yeah, if you go walk eight blocks in, you might run into some trouble. But it, it's just so, it's this little island of fantasy, fantasy island. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I went to the old one a few times, and, man, you talk about history, it was... Matter of fact, one time on one trip, I went to Fenway and Yankee Stadium. It was I didn't. Whoever was with me loved it because I probably didn't talk for like an hour <laughs> each each time we got there. But the, the only time I've been to Fenway Park was on a, a time I didn't go in, but I was up there as usual for some kind oh, yeah. of work, yeah. right? And I was staying over there uh, near Berkeley because. Berkeley is over near Fenway Park not also, yeah. not far at all. And I remember man, walking out of my hotel and walking around the different parts of that area. And I, Fenway Park is one of those parks that it's unlike modern parks, of course, at all. You don't even know if you're not, if you don't know you're walking to Fenway Park, you're walking right by it. This looks like brick walls. You, you sure know? can. You just don't, you don't even realize, man, that you're going by the ballpark. So that it, I had somebody actually told me, they said, yeah, you're, I said something about, well, where's the park? And they're like, you're right beside it. Oh, you're leaning on it. Yeah. Um. So Yankee Stadium, Um. it kind of, you know, when you walk up to it, it kind of looks the same, real similar. Even when you're sitting in your seats, it's got a real similar vibe because it's got the whole facade over left center, you know, the white kind of mm-hmm. extends into over right field and all that. And if it, it, Monument Grove's right out there in center field. But man, it's like brand spanking new and shiny and fun, and the corridors and all that, really nice. Um, and you know, people were cool, man. We got on the subway at five fifteen, going north, and you were crammed in there. Mm-hmm. And we never got any attitude or anything. So, it, props to New York, man. We really, really enjoyed ourselves, and they were that city's a, a great host now. I've always thought that all those cities in the Northeast got a bad rap from the standpoint of people being nasty. I I, I easily will put the nastiness of Atlantans up against. uh, (laughs) Aren't they all from New York, though? Well, you know, that's a good point. But but also, I've always thought that that Californians, man, were were a little nastier than the people up in the the northeast and you know philadelphia in particular gets a real bad rap man and i've never got i've got nothing but love for philadelphia yeah i i don't i never run it man you know half of it is just just if you're if you're kind of looking for it you're gonna find it yeah you know but i've been same way when i was in paris you know then all the nightmares you hear about paris i realized like easily if you walk in a store you try to speak French, mm-hmm. they realize you're American. I'm like, oh, no, it's okay. I speak English. But if you walk in and say, hey, I need some white tennis shoes and some camp shorts <laughs> right now. So give them up, pal. You know, then they're going to vibe you. Yeah. But it's just like anywhere else. I, I, New York is so different than when I first went there, though. Like in the 80s, man, Times Square. Well, that was, was insane. That's what I was so, going to say. You better have a bazooka on you. <laughs> It is definitely different now, but yeah. man, it was awesome. You guys, anybody who gets a chance that hasn't been needs to go spend some time there. 
While we're talking to the listeners just off the cuff, I want to throw out major props and major thanks to the listeners. I was telling John uh, as he walked in that I don't know what's going on, what's in the water, but the response to these first two episodes that we've put out for this third season has been up, over, and off the charts. I mean, it's been amazing, man. So thanks so much for the support. I was telling him that there are episodes that we recorded two and a half years ago that have been available for two and a half years that have not gotten as many listens as the first episode that we published two weeks ago. So mad props uh, to everybody. And thanks to, to all the folks on social media as well for doing some sharing uh, you know, we'll make a post on there and somebody will will kind of forward it or, or share it and add their little blurb onto it about check these guys out if you haven't heard it before. So major, major thanks uh, to everybody for that. It, it does a body good because we've said it once. We'll say it again. We don't ever plan on charging anybody for anything. We don't want any support. We do it because we like doing it. We feel like we got something fun and kind of unique and helpful to say. So, yeah, man, thanks. I mean, what better compliment than to share? You know, I love that. That That's something that means a lot to us. Uh, and, you know, I mean, are you surprised by the first two shows? I mean, the circus that is us and Jimmy Haslip, you know, I mean, okay. I mean, we had, I mean, I mean, I didn't meant to say Jimmy Haslip, but, but nonetheless, the circuit that it circus that is us, you know, I'm sure there's people rolling their eyes and being entertained by our, there are a few goofiness. guests that we've had on this show that, you seriously could just hit record and just talk as long as you've got time. You could do one of those Rogan-esque style podcasts that mm-hmm. last four and a half hours. And Haslip is one of those guys. Because when we start going through that whole list of all these different drummers that he's played with, which is just this incredible hall of fame of who's who of all these people. And then, you know, I'm, I made sure I put the gut, the, uh, the drummer anomalies like Denny Carmasi and Bobby Rondinelli and that kind of stuff. He remembers, he could tell you, you know, everything exactly about it. And it, it, it the list that we went through was conservatively a quarter of the names that were on there. And I intentionally left off some of the ones that you know are going to be great. Like, I didn't even talk about Will Kennedy. He played with that guy for 25 years. Yeah, it's been documented, I'm sure. Yeah, I didn't talk about Ricky Lawson. I mean, there's just so many people that he plays with regularly that we didn't talk talk about. But uh, I have it on pretty good authority that he's going to be back around here fairly soon. Nice. And if that's the he's case, we're going to sit down and chat. Pretty good friends that are here now. He's developed some friendships I, with some friends of ours, I know. that. Well, here's a funny little story. When I finished that show, uh, you know, we were in the lobby of the hotel, which at first I was very unsure that that was a wise thing, and then it was the best thing ever. I feel like, John, we should do all of our shows now at like a coffee shop or something. Mm-hmm. It's, it had a very cool ambience to it. But um, when I was leaving... I walked through the lobby and I had forgotten something. And so I walked back in and when I walked back in, I didn't even realize I was on such a mission to leave. You know, I had all the gear and everything. I didn't even realize that I walked right by Randy Hexter. And when I walked in, Randy was on the phone to Jimmy and Jimmy was literally, I had just left him. He was around the corner. And so they were talking to each other 50 feet away from each other and didn't, didn't even realize it. That's funny. So. 
they getting together and hanging out. I'm they sure they did. They did as soon as soon as I was heading out. I uh, reunited those fine folk. Good for you. Yeah. So, and I think they probably went over to the club after that. Uh, but I thought what we'd do this week, John, is we would. Uh, did you ask him if Dave was annoyed by the lights at the club they played? <laughs> you like that? Well, I, I'm learning. Here's, well, but here's the thing. The, the thing is, the thing that, that makes it funny, not only from the way that you said that, but anybody who is unaware of this venue that they played at, it's about this. It's not much bigger than the room that John and I are recording no. in right it now. It feels smaller if you're playing drums. It, it, well, <laughs> especially, man, he brought that full kit. Yeah. I, and I talked to Jimmy a little bit about this off mic, but. The, what they had to do, okay, you envision the stage and you know that if we're looking at the stage, the, the piano, the grand piano it is to the left. remains. Right. Well, what they had to do was they took it, closed the lid, turned it sideways and pushed it up against the wall. And they mm. took Oz's amp and like stuck it under the piano. <laughs> and then he was in the, the nook. The, the of curve the, of the piano. Of the piano, right. right. And then Dave took the drums and set them up sort of sideways on the stage kind of kind of half maybe just at like a 45 degree angle or so to be able to get everything on and then jimmy took his amps and put it up against the wall beside you know the little doorway that goes back to the kitchen in the green room he was like kind of standing in about a two square foot area and you know, since he's left-handed, man, the headstock was like right behind Dave's head. So it was it was cozy. I saw a little bit of the first night and Right when Dave sat down, he's like looking. He puts his hand up over his eyes. <laughs> he goes, "Whoo!" Yeah, light was in his eyes. So. Well, it's because it was like a table lamp that was sitting on his floor. Tom, just about. I felt so bad, man. <laughs> I, I played that room, and it is. It's it is. Uh, man, that, that first tune is misery. It, it shall we call it intimate? Yeah, no is doubt. It's what that room is. It's very. I, if you're doing a piano trio, it's awesome. Yeah, sold out. It's forty people. Is that it? Forty. Yeah. You sure? I'm hundred percent sure, man. And wow. then they can they you know you know how they they will sometimes sit some chairs that are beside the stage that go to the yeah. little back room there. That's forty five. Mm. When you've got that, so there you go. So that we're talking about the Velvet Note, folks. Hey, so wait, gonna... man. <laughs> well, now I got to go back and think if I said anything bad. No, it's all good, man. Not that I'll ever play there again. It's all good. I played there once. I'll never play there again. <laughs> it's it's all good. So we have our our little uh, set of programs that we do uh, that we know are hits and we know that people like, and uh, we try to do one of these artist features uh, every season. And uh, we've been pretty good at doing these where we alternate them in different genres, where we try not to do two rock guys in a row, try not to do two jazz guys in a row. Mm-hmm. And this time around, we were due for a jazz guy. And look at the big brain on John. He pulls out of his hat, let's do Sonny Payne. Man. And I'm like, John, that might be the best suggestion you've ever had in two and a half years of doing this show. Well, you know, it's more... this this segment has kind of loosely become the let's give some props to a guy who deserves way more than he's had yeah because most of these we've done are i mean gordon and you know like why you know we should be just going on and on about some of these guys and we don't and yeah to me sunny Payne in that 50s and 60s 
thing, you know, man, because bebop was sexier. We kind of lean on that, and, you know, but good Lord, man. When you talk about top of the game, you're talking about this weird combination of incredible chops, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, real bombastic, militaristic, Shit. rudimental kind of chops. Yeah. But use them in such a way to where everything he plays just had a strut to it. There was this undeniable confidence, man, this incredible strut, this vibe that went through it. I mean, you know, it's Basie's band, but Sonny's driving that bus. Yep. I mean, there's no doubt. And, you know, another thing I think is kind of interesting, John, is, and we can, we'll definitely unpack this a little more as we go through and start listening to these things, but Sonny was playing during that time that you were talking about with Basie when you had, of course, Bebop and Hardbop was going on. But more importantly, check this out, man. When he got when you got into that early and mid-60s when he was with Basie, if you weren't Elvin or Tony, you were almost persona non grata, right? Yep. And so here's this guy, man, playing in Like a, even Buddy. Or exactly. Kind of like, yeah, Buddy's cool. Yeah. But man, have you heard Tony? Or Elvin, yeah. right? Yeah, that, man, I mean, that, right. that was your two standard bears at that That's time. That's right. I wonder what was going on from a standpoint of here are these guys in this band. And that band in so many ways, I mean, of course, you you know, you go back and you look at the the early days and you had Papa Joe playing drums, right. Shadow Wilson playing drums. And then it's hard to deny those guys, but was that Basie band ever any better from the late fifties to the mid sixties? I don't think so. I, I I think I think pound for pound it, it burned every. It was really kind of the the second really good band he had. You know that the Papa Joe era. Mm-hmm. Well, that was in the thirties, man. Yeah, um, but they were they were heralded because when when they came into New York. You know, they were playing the blues, man, and people flipped out. And you think about the, the, you know, you're listening to Ellington, the sophisticated and just blown away with all of the highbrow approach he had, which I will never, ever in any way, shape, or form consider less than anything else. But then, um, you know, the Basie band came in and it was like they were just grinding. And that, that, Late 30s, early 40s band was pretty burning. Oh, it absolutely was. And you also had the the beginnings of Papa Joe Jones elevating what we think of today as like just regular jazz drumming. He started taking time away from the snare drum and putting it on the cymbals, right. putting it on the hi-hat, moving it over to the ride. I mean, so there's a, a lot real... of historical significance to just that. True. But, but with Sonny... Um, man, there was this, there was this muscular, just incredibly, uh, commanding presence in his playing that in my opinion made that the best era for uh, Basie. I think there was, there was just so much more attitude in it. That's that strut. Yeah. And 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 he he had it in droves, but you could tell that he wasn't people people weren't resenting it. They were riding it. And that's why that band was so good. 
They weren't like because some, man, he could lay back and play time mm-hmm. with the best of them. So he wasn't just showboating all the time, giving a chance, giving the opportunity or a solo. He'd blow your mind. Every once in a while he'd play some crazy fill or whatever, but we're going to hear plenty of that. Of the, at the end of the day, man, like did anybody have a better backbeat on shout courses and Sonny? Well, and, and just overall, so. just, just playing uh, time on a cymbal. Yeah. Uh, I remember, man, I was talking with Jeff Hamilton about 20 years ago and we were talking about big band drummers. And we were talking about just the beat of the cymbal, right? In other words, just who played a great cymbal, who played had a great cymbal beat. And the two people he came up with, I would have never have thought. And one was Sonny Payne. Mm-hmm. The other one was Gus Johnson. Really? <laughs> yeah. He says Gus Johnson had one of the sweetest cymbal beats ever. And if you go back and listen to it, man, there's a lot of truth to that. He had a, you know, he was primarily a good timekeeper, but man, he had a really I, great symbol beat. Gus, mm-hmm. kind of wider too, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't the, just straight into the, I, I might be thinking of somebody else. I'm not that up on, it strikes me as a guy who had, you know, like Elvin had that big wide thing. Mm-hmm. Mel had that too. Mel had the big wide thing. Yeah, big pendulum motion. I love that. Mm-hmm. Well, Sonny, one thing I want to talk about also before we start listening to some tracks, he had a great overall drum sound as well, drum and cymbal sound. Uh, the the tracks that we're going to hear today, as, as we start listening to them, everybody take note that he was one of the guys that used, uh, sounded like a Zildjian, slightly higher pitched cymbals, which is in contrast also to that period of time when you started having these big bands and had a, have, having a lot of drummers using still old Ks. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we always think of when Mel was either playing in Terry Gibbs's band or when he was playing in the Thad Jones Mel Lewis orchestra of using those old dark symbols, right? And, but in in ways it makes sense. Not that I think those bands were not nearly as traditionally aggressive and um, you know the the, the Sonny's choices were really they made a lot of sense. Yeah, well, because man, when they when that band would get going, man, it was it blow your hair back. Man. Yeah, and it's exactly like you said. Also, now of course, Basie could be elegant too. I mean, I mean, what's more elegant than in Blazing Saddles playing April in Paris while uh, <laughs> <laughs> while the sheriff is riding his horse through? Right. But, I, I, well, for that matter. Yeah. You know, who left more space in a solo than Count Basie? That's pretty elegant, too. There you go. Sh- quick shout out to Harold Jones. He was the drummer in that clip. By That's the way. right. Uh, but what I was going to say is that even back when the, the mid and late 60s, when Thad Jones Mel Lewis Orchestra was getting their first start, there was a very conscious effort to make it a headier kind of band, mm-hmm. headier arrangements. When we think still of Basie a lot of times, we think exactly what you're talking about, man, blues. Mm-hmm. The theme song they had for years, which we're going to listen to twice tonight, One O'Clock Jump, is just a blues. That's it. And so you had this kind of a gut bucket strut. And, yeah, the gear choices that he made with those big kind of bombastic Fred Flintstone, shout out to Zach, Zach Danziger, uh, uh, Fred Flintstone style sounding snare drum and drums, man, fits that style to a T. Agreed. So, two thing, two quick things. Um, one, so there's some lineage with Sonny that that makes a lot of sense, especially as for when you talk about his 
technique and mm-hmm. you know there's there's definitely a, a studied lot of rudimental right. study yeah so I, I did find out you know his dad was a professional drummer and most people coming out of that period you know were sticklers about you know technique and rudiments and all that and he also studied with a, a kind of legendary teacher who um, i'm blanking on his name right now but I, i've heard his name before from way back and 20s it, and 30s in new york that kind of thing and most likely and it, it was one of those things where he they made him play on a practice pad for probably right. two years before he ever even got to a snare drum right and his dad was probably right along you know yeah, that's how it's going to be, whatever, because he put in some time for sure. Yeah, it's but you know his dad being a drummer and a, a pro. It, it's a know? very common story that you hear time and time again from a lot of the old timers that when they were studying, it was just on a snare drum or a practice pad. That was it for a long time because you know you've heard that old saying it's time and time again, and there's a lot of truth to it that you're only as good of a drum set player as you are a snare drummer, right? And so there was a. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is another time we wish we were doing video. Uh, but there's a lot of truth to that, man. In other words, if if you just think about it from a standpoint of everything from reading to technique, that if you can't get it done on one surface, you're compounding the problem by trying to put it on multiple surfaces. And I think that's where a lot of that old school education came from. It's like, we got to get it right on one surface, then we can start putting it on others. Mm-hmm. So... The other thing I was going to touch on real quick, just a coincidence, I, I'm reading that Mel book right now, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of what we're talking about either pertains to his upbringing as well. His dad was a drummer. Yeah, um, there's a lot of parallels there, but that foundation is something that until the day he died, Mel would be like, "Who are these rock drummers?" and blah 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 blah, you know, and pulling sound out of something and all that oh yeah he was about as hardcore as they come yeah well let's jump into some tracks come on okay so i'm gonna go with my first track which is every time i think of sunny pain i think of this track i mean this to me is the sunny pain track for several reasons and we're going to listen to a fairly fairly nice helping of it and the track is off of a vocal record um it's ella and basie and this was one of those records that all the arrangements were done by Quincy Jones, conducted by Quincy Jones. It was recorded really, really well. You can hear every single thing on the recording. Um, and it has what I am saying is the greatest Count Basie two-bar drum fill in the history. And yes, I am aware of Shadow Wilson on Queer Street. And so this is Sonny Payne, playing shiny stockings with uh ella singing and what we're going to hear john is we're going to pick it up in the uh muted trumpet solo and then we're going to hear this absolutely brilliant fantastic falling down the stairs drum fill leading into the shout chorus of uh shiny stockings so without any further ado let's give it a listen Thank you. 
If you don't have a smile on your face right now, you're not my friend. Man. There's so much good. We listened to about a minute and five seconds of that. And there's so much good in that five seconds or in that minute and five seconds that if Sonny Payne never picked up another stick or recorded another tune in his life, his legacy is cemented. In that one minute. In that one minute. Agreed. And there's a, I love his right foot. Well, that's funny that you mentioned that because I'm going to say something about that track that we just listened to that if you didn't catch this when we played it this first time, scroll back about a minute right now and listen to it. He does something that's really unique. It's very sunny. You seldom hear this. When they were playing uh, the little trumpet, so behind the trumpet solo, they were playing in two, right? And for, for those of our folks who are not familiar with what we mean by when we say we're playing in two or, uh, as opposed to playing in four, it has as much to do with the bass player. The bass player is playing half notes in a measure and when we're in two, and he's playing quarter notes, walking line when we're in four. So when they're in two on that little trumpet solo, notice that he's playing boom, ba-boom, mm-hmm. ba-boom. But boom, he's playing the little pickup note of the triplet before counts one and three, and it just has a nice little lilt and a bounce to it at that. Because most of the time when we think of playing in two, if we're playing the bass drum, we're just playing... Bloating yeah, is what I think. Yeah, you're just playing those half notes on one and three, but he's got that little ba-boom, ba-boom, a little louder than normal too, man, mm-hmm. where you can kind of hear that lilt of that. And it's just so cool. It's just so hip. And then, of course, you got what I call the greatest bassy drum fill in history man oh my god it's just absolutely fantastic i could listen to that i bet i did listen to that drum fill at least 15 times man before we did this show i, I understand well and it's one of those things also that that arrangement all these arrangements by either uh quincy or hefty are, are very readily available you can normally buy them and different bands play them i dare you Anybody out there to try to cop that drum fill and make that happen? I dare you. And how many people you'd lose? <laughs> Trumpet players falling out left and right. Wait, wait, what just happened? Oh, awesome. So fantastic. And hopefully also you guys noticed that strut, that undeniable strut, man, all the way through there. I mean, just finger snapping. Incredible. He's got it in droves. John, what you got? Well, I'm going to do something um, kind of selfish, but I don't think anybody's going to complain. Everything I picked is from one night. Mm-hmm. Different, Every, re- different records, but the same night. Mm-hmm. From one night. Mm-hmm. It is Sunny Payne on one evening. And uh, the reason I did that, besides all the brilliance you're going to hear, is uh, I just feel like this is kind of the culmination and the peak of his powers where Sonny hit the 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 height of 
all that made him great for the for you know the last fifteen to twenty years he'd been playing, and especially the you know he'd been probably playing with Basie for a good ten years when he did this, right? Yeah, well, he played. Man, he got in with Basie in '57 and then left in '65. Yeah, so almost so ten years. Almost this, ten years when this record came out. And uh, and so this is a night that uh, Sinatra did some shows in Vegas at the Sands, and the the legendary record Sinatra at the Sands is. Uh, I know a lot of you are aware of it, but it's Frank with Basie, Quincy Jones did all these souped up incredible arrangements and you can feel in the in the room on that record like there's probably like 50 celebrities and the Mm -hmm. buzz and the anticipation are just off the hook but you feel it in the band as well like just there's some extra level and buzz in it and i had only heard that live sonata record for a long time and then i realized there was a whole record of Basie doing instrumentals before Frank came out. Yeah, warming them up. They're just stupid. I mean, just a bunch of classic Basie tunes, but there's some little, you know, we know we know that catalog pretty well, and that night it's just like a little added zest, if you will. Well, I think it's interesting to note also that every single one of these songs that we're going to play are like these uber standards that you immediately relate right to basie mm-hmm. you know and as a matter of fact when we get to the end we're going to do two different versions of their theme song right so in any event I, i'm going to go with that for you know i that's that's when i really really came to appreciate sunny like above and beyond what i had already appreciated yeah it was like man if i ever had a night like that <laughs> i would hope it was documented because yeah. i would just quit and and also the reason I say when you're at your when you're on your top of your game, he ended up playing with Frank for a long time after, after that. that. Yeah, he Frank requested him. Yeah, yeah. So that night, <laughs> that week in Vegas was probably Sonny's, you know, greatest, you know, culmination of all that that his amazing career became. So that that sets that up. Sorry, uh, this is one from the first set this is before frank right and, and there is a record called basie at the sands before frank i right. believe is it and the track is one of the uber standards jumping at the woodside yep and this is also the one i always think about the gong show gene gene the dancing yep. machine this was his song so let's <laughs> let's give a listen to uh jumping at the woodside
just a nice, easy tempo. <laughs> Go out in little waltz with your baby. <laughs> yeah. That left hand is dangerous. Did you notice that he does this wonderful thing that, that we always think about that it's a very kind of a scholastic thing and it's a very kind of a measured academic thing where, you know, he's taking and kicking like the higher pitched instruments like the trumpet with the snare and then the low brass with the bass drum. He just does it so naturally, mm. man. And it just, it's voiced so perfectly that it's just kind of like, yeah, that's exactly, of course, the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. That, those, those brass hits... I mean that that is the perfect example of his attitude. Just like, oh yeah, incredible man. Yeah, it blows my mind. That that and um, the tempo was kind of up there too. <laughs> Woo. So this next track that I picked is sunny. I mean, it's definitely sunny. I mean, hundred percent. But this is the subtler, uh, gentler side of Sonny and it's from um, a recording called Basie Plays Hefty and we've already mentioned that name um, Neil Hefty was a great trumpeter and arranger and I think many people probably know him if they don't know him from the big band side he wrote uh, the Batman theme and he wrote the Odd Couple theme uh, so there you go there's your there's your tv credibility for you but did okay he did all right he probably made more off the batman theme than every big band arrangement he wrote 10 times over <laughs> gross yeah but yeah he's he's a very well-known big band writer composer arranger and he had a very long relationship with woody herman and then ultimately with uh, count basie as well and he wrote this one arrangement that a lot of drummers know maybe not know that he wrote it called cute and it was written and it, it to actually feature the drums and what it is is it's a basically sort of a call and answer kind of a tune where the band plays a phrase the drummer plays a phrase solos back drummer the band plays a phrase and the drummer solos back and so this is the hefty bassy arrangement of cute with sunny Payne on brushes and so what you'll notice i've edited actually two clips together on this I've edited the intro, which includes the actual head with the the brush answer back and forth. And then I fast forwarded. He actually does a full chorus drum solo on brushes, which is great. So check out Sonny on Cute.
John, when they did that tune live, do you think there was any showmanship going on? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's um. We touched just briefly on it, but Sonny Payne was one of the great showmen of all time. Didn't take your eyes off him. Uh, it was incredible, and to kind of bolster that point, when we had Sonny Emery in here, do you remember that we asked him something about who his favorite showman was, and he mentioned one guy, and I said, "Well, what about Sonny Payne?" And he was like, "Oh, Sonny Payne." Ooh, yeah, he knows. Oh, absolutely, but. I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, version or interesting side of him because, you know, we always think about the big, flashy, bombastic uh, Sonny Payne. And here's one where there's probably certainly some flashy stuff going on, but significantly more subtle, man, and getting to hear him play some brushes in a very cool way with that arrangement. And sometimes not playing. And sometimes not playing. He also did some little nifty things with some splash symbols and some hats and stuff like that through yeah. there as well. So cool stuff. Very clever. John, what's your next pick? Uh, this is from the live Sinatra at the Sands. Classic old arrangement. And and Quincy plays it pretty close to the vest on this one, but um, there's just a little bit of a there's some real weight to this and I love Irv's version Irv Kotler's version of this the record studio version it's magic but Sonny does a lot of justice to it (laughs) and you can tell Frank's like oh we're getting deep in it here All right, well let me show you you know there's there's some hard swinging going on on this record all night on this clip I actually included some of that little bit of banter Oh, yeah. Yeah, going back and forth. So, you ready to give it a listen? Yep. Here we go. I have tried so not to give in. And I said to myself, this affair, it never will go so well. But why should I try to resist when, baby, I know so well that I've got you under my skin I'd sacrifice anything come what running high anything come what might for the sake of having you near in spite of a warning voice comes in the night it repeats how it yells in my ear don't you know you fool there ain't no chance to win why not choose your mentality wake up step up to reality Under my skin. Yeah, you Pretty good backbeat on that fella. Yeah, he, he. I think they knew where he was at, tempo wise. 
that was a, that was like a Stuart Copeland style uh, cross stick and backbeat combination, man. He was not playing. On that either first, of that those. first, that first part of that tune is just like, did they mic it? <laughs> it's just I like, wham, man. Was, can't you see that? Like you've seen Stuart Copeland do that thing where he just literally picks his stick up with the butt end and just, just drops brings it. it straight it down for like. the cross stick sound. That's Crazy. exactly what it sounds like. Incredible. He's an animal. And and there's a perfect example of you can hear Frank like, oh man, this band is burning, and I'm just effortless he's just singing so effortlessly hard and like just in the pocket so great what a what an amazing combination frank and basie also just tremendous setups Mm. again to get i mean you can really tell man when he when he winds up and does one of those insane drum fills lead you know that that band is getting ready to blow the roof off the dump no doubt i mean there's just no question about it so uh, my next pick, again, is another one of these Basie style standards. And it's one of their what we call flag wavers is what 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 one of my old big band teachers used to say when. And that was in reference to like a fast tune you yeah. know, that showed showed off a lot of band virtuosity. And this is one that is relatively early in uh, Sonny's career with Basie. This was done in late 58 and this is the arrangement of Whirly Bird and it's from the um bre- uh no, this is from the Dynamic Basie Orchestra. And this is another live recording. So, let's check out Whirly Bird. And a couple things to listen for on this is in particular, man, listen to some of these crazy rudimental style solo uh setups that he does, man. Just brilliant stuff. So, here we go. man on some of those even short fills and setups that he had listen to the articulation of the snare drum when he does that every one of those notes stand out yeah no swallowed notes in that man intent i mean i know there's really not a lot to say about that except that guy was just playing his tail off that old band was playing their tail off on that yeah that that, that was very very enjoyable <laughs> And again, another one of those just, it's a nice laid back tempo. 
Yeah. <laughs> Do they get paid when they play that slow? <laughs> paid by the bar. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. Go back and listen to that one again. And really again, if you great. want to check out that full version, that's off Dynamic Basie Orchestra, the live recording. Hey, we're back to the Magic Evening. Yeah, we are. We're going to hear twice more from the Magic Evening. I was thinking you, you were talking about blowing the roof off the joint. I wonder if Sonny is partially responsible for the sands just disappearing and being leveled. <laughs> like structurally, it may have been affected. So maybe your your comment has some validity to it. Well, that and the mafia were standing right next to him the entire time. That might have had something to do with it, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think he might have blown the roof off the joint. <laughs> it's very possible. Uh, we're back to the, to the live Sinatra record, and this is when he comes out, when Frank comes out, and they uh, are going to bust open all of me. And there's there's some playful and uh, and fun stuff that goes on. Uh, one thing in particular is uh, where he kind of just goes off script, which is cool. But also, Sonny plays a fill that is kind of almost anti-Sonny in a way. And I, I think you captured it where he, he, he sets up the biggest hit in the song almost, but it's like kind of subtle as opposed to. I hope I actually have that on. Now that you've. It would be nice. <laughs> I should have probably told you about up, that. I was going to say, I hope I got that in we'll there. We'll see. So this is all of me. Okay. last thing was cool i'm thinking of a different song i think where that hit is anyway so you didn't miss anything well does that give you at least a little bit more love for splash symbols now who does that (laughs) 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 that 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 is an old school dixieland style totally thing that his dad probably taught him that probably so man yeah and can't you just see it also it's one of those like paper thin like eight inch splashes oh, yeah, is what that probably looks like. There's yeah, you're exactly right. There's absolutely nothing right to in front that of them one. Too. Yeah, yeah. 
good choice, man. So we're coming toward the end uh, where John and I both have one more pick that we're going to share with you guys. And we picked the same tune, but we picked vastly different versions. And we thought it'd be cool to put them back to back so you could hear how he treats the same uh, tune. And what it is, is we picked the old Basie theme song, uh, One O'Clock Jump, which is just a blues. We've already referred to it a little bit. But I chose my version from the Breakfast Dance and Barbecue uh, live record. Um, just check this thing out. And the one thing I was telling John, I, I, it cracks me up every time I hear it. Listen when we get just about maybe 20 seconds into this thing. Listen to this very subtle drum fill that Sonny plays leading into the main head. So this is uh, One O'Clock Jump. on the end of that thing too on that last chord he may have <laughs> he you know, might I think have he, i think i've seen him in pictures with double bass yeah it's but that uh i thought i would share that one with everybody there that one is another nice subtle sunny wood bed with the bombastic drum <laughs> fills and whatnot i love that flam kick stuff he does through that one fill it's oh, awesome just just amazing stuff and you know, you can hear, I would say that Basie probably recorded one, one o'clock jump 20 times. Mm -hmm. So if you guys want to go back and hear how other people treated it, you certainly can. There's, like There's, I said, it's probably, probably been recorded 20 times with, with 15 different drummers. Yep. No doubt. Yeah. So John, you want to listen to your version? Well, yeah. <laughs> Anything you want to say about it before we start? Um, it just, this is definitely the attitude of Sonny. I always think of this when I think of him, like just laying it out there. There's something about this 
simple, short arrangement. It's a Quincy Jones arrangement of the tune that is just screaming and cool. And just for everyone's reference, this is the entire clip. It's only about a minute and 20 seconds. Yep. For this it's sort of, hey, we're getting ready. Yeah. Here we go, kids. Don't count Basie's ending. <laughs> yeah, man. They were they were excited. There they were, and you know, let's end it with a nice thud. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh. He got some laughter out of that. I, do you think he got fired for that? Shoot. <laughs> yeah, he, it, Count Basie fired him, and Frank immediately, like thirty seconds later, hired him. I, I was gonna say, it's I'll my, take him. My understanding that. Essentially, he ended up after doing the uh, Frank stuff. Also, he was Harry James's drummer up until about the time he died. Actually, actually, he was with him when he did. Harry James paid for his funeral. That's how much he loved Sonny. Man, I was about to say something about one of your employers, but I'm not going. I was going to ask him if they'd do the same thing for you, but I'm not going to go that route. They were going to, but they bought a new, nice new house instead, <laughs> <laughs> up on the lake. Uh, <laughs> hey, he's on his own. Yeah, uh, Harry was Sonny. He loved Sonny and paid for his funeral. And yeah, uh, he, you know, Sonny died when he was only fifty-two. Yeah, he was young. He was very young. That's pneumonia, than right? Yep. Some kind of infection or something yeah, exactly like that. Right. So Harry paid for his hospital stay and funeral. I wonder, if, cool. I wonder if that was the only thing, man. I mean, it's, I mean, even though it was the 70s when he's died, you didn't normally die of pneumonia back then. I wonder if there was something else that caused the pneumonia. That You know what I mean? Like some other kind of an illness that pneumonia is what got him. But I, I would I would say that's more than likely the case. Um, typically, hospital stays brought on that a lot. You know? Yeah. Staph infections and pneumonia were like big big and regular problems in the hospital um but uh, he was not a healthy man yeah. at an early age sad but uh you never know by his playing i'm glad we did this show man fun i know you know there's some people that might be like oh it's not modular and you know like linear modern fusion how can you like it? Oh well, dude, He's last a one monster. We, He's a, the last one we did was Roger Hawkins. That's right. the anti-linear. Exactly. Sonny Payne, man, come on, that guy is uh, so underrated as, as far as big band drumming goes. Yeah, it's pretty textbook. 
Well, if you believe the lore, um, pretty much what everybody says that from the time Sonny Payne left that band until, I mean, I don't even know if the Basie band has any ghost bands roaming around or not. It may or may not. But supposedly the uh, yardstick that everyone was measured by was, did you play those arrangements like Sonny Payne? Mm -hmm. Not Papa Joe, not Shadow Wilson. Did you play them like Sonny Payne? Well, when you get into you, there's even documenting that some of the guys, like who was it, Harold Jones, maybe Harold Jones said he copped everything from Sonny Payne. As did Butch. If he if he mm-hmm. got uncomfortable, he just go, oh, I'll just play all that stuff I know Sonny played. Right. And he kept his job for 15 years. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. All the legend when it came down to going on stage and and knocking it out they went back to sunny well and one thing i don't blame them one thing that i want to mention is if we go back and talk about the first episode of this third season you know i talked about that one of the people that gave me a good proper butt kicking was this guy that ran the studio jazz orchestra don huff and Sonny Payne was his measuring stick also. You know, it was that's when he was when he would kind of mimic those those ridiculous bombastic drum fills. He was referencing Sonny. No doubt. And and he would talk about, you know, this section here, man, you gotta this thing, these these notes and this beat and this groove's gotta stand up straight and it's gotta strut. You know what I mean? That type thing. And again, he was reference referencing Sonny Payne. Yeah, we just heard Yeah. Measures and measures of it. Right, and so he was one of the first people that that got me really tuned into Sonny Payne because I, I think that a lot of times when you study big band drumming now, you know, you study it from a little bit more of that headier perspective like we're talking about, and it's a little less of the gut bucket, and it's a little less of the big bombastic fills, and it's a little bit more of the tasteful thing, and, you know, you want to fill this way to get to this kind of a fill this particular way, and you want to fill this kind of a fill to get to this kind of a hit this particular way, and you want to kick all the high stuff with the snare drum and all the low stuff with the bass drum and blah, 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 and again Sonny did do that somewhat but it was way more guttural way more instinctual mm-hmm. when he did that so if you can blend those two things together man you are better off than 90 percent of the other folks i love Sonny, so you know that that's just this is my little love letter to him yeah well great call man because i wouldn't have thought of this i wouldn't have gone this direction i'd have picked somebody else but i think this was a great call well, thanks, man. Are you just saying that in case a p- bunch of people like say bad things about our show? Who could possibly say something bad about Sunny Payne? They, they could say something I'm, bad about the I'm show. I'm just ruffling. I'm yeah. just. I'm just causing trouble. But you're not my friend if you don't like Sunny Payne. No, that that definitely holds true with my criteria as well. Well, folks, thanks so much for tuning in. Once again, we greatly, greatly appreciate your support and patronage. Thanks for reaching out with all of your emails, your social media messages. So appreciated. If you get a minute, head on over to iTunes. Leave us a short review inside of iTunes on our Drummer's Weekly Groovecast podcast page. We'd greatly appreciate it. As always, head over to our webpage as well, www.drummersweeklygroovecast.com. 
everything DWG's there. You got all of our episodes, you got videos, you can, you can interact with us through our email form there. We've got our social media accounts on there you can also interact with. Reach out to us. Let us know what you want to hear. We greatly appreciate it. Until next week, John. Quick trivia question. Sure. What company did Sonny leave Grutch for? Ludwig. <clears throat> Wrong? Sonar. Wow. How about that? Weird, isn't it? I'm going to say. Harry James Sonar. Right? Yeah. Just whole, yeah. I was going to say that's a bad choice in my opinion. But then again, why do I know? I might be corrected, but I, I, I'm pretty sure. That's oh, believe me, went. if you're wrong, you will be. Yeah, <laughs> There's no, no question about that. I All don't right. think he played Ludwig. All right, folks, we'll see you next week. Peace. Bye. Bye.